This is Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast with John Bacon. This is the place where people from all walks of life share their anxiety stories to remind you that you are not alone. If you have an anxiety story you'd like to share, contact us at anxietycanada.com slash ouranxietystories. This is John Babin. You're listening to Our Anxiety Stories, the Anxiety Canada podcast. And my guest today is somebody I've been looking forward to, and that is broadcaster uh, Michael Landsberg. Also, just as importantly in my world, the founder of uh, Sick Not Weak hashtag, mental uh, health advocate with Bell Media. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Looking forward to it as well. Yeah, great. My uh, what I, I always start start the the show with my uh, the name of the show, and uh, I want to know what your anxiety anxiety story is. So, what's your anxiety story, Michael? Uh, well, I'm going to have to abbreviate it because my anxiety stories probably started when I was you know maybe four, five, six. It's 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 hard for me to remember, uh, but it was uh, it was a huge thing in my life because I had fears that first of all when you're young. You don't know what normal is, so you're not 100% sure that what you're experiencing, everybody isn't experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I had fears that as time went on, I think I was pretty aware that I was the only one or it was not normal because I never shared with anyone. And the irony for me and the, the sad part of that story is that I came from a really loving house where I could have shared anything and my parents would have embraced it. But I was just ashamed and embarrassed, and as a result, I just internalized it, even though in a lot of ways it was what was shaping my life. Uh, I mean, not totally, but it certainly had a, a real negative effect on my life. I had a couple of very specific anxieties that, uh, that really drove the things that I did, the things that I didn't do, uh, really had a big effect on me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested. Uh, th- so far, from what I've researched about you and looked at, you and I are pretty carbon copy um, with our experience. Uh, my first experience with anxiety when I was, uh, you know, five years old, six years old, same kind of thing. Didn't have a full-blown panic attack until uh, maybe 11, 11 years old, something like that, 10 or 11. I'm curious how your, uh, how did your anxiety, did it, did it manifest in any way when you were a kid? Yeah, my, my anxiety came out uh, in a number of ways. Uh, one of the, the biggest interrupters for me, without a doubt, was my fear of throwing up. It's called emetophobia. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's not just a fear of throwing up. It's a fear of being around people who throw up. It's a fear of talking about it. I mean, I, I literally couldn't watch a movie where someone threw out without, without freaking out. And I had no idea why. Right. Like it was it was uh, I remember in grade school, I was convinced that uh, one of my friends who was sitting beside me was going to throw up. And as a result, I just I panicked and I, and I started like yelling to the teacher. He's got to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. And right. looking back at it now, uh, it, it, it still makes sense because I still have that same fear. But as mm-hmm. an adult who's lived with it for a long time, obviously, I know how to handle it better. Uh, so. I would say that that was the biggest thing. And, and let's fast forward now to the last, uh, the last five years where I've spent a lot of time speaking about mental health. And um, from time to time, I'll say to people, look, you know, you can't understand someone else's mental health challenges. It's impossible. And I use that in the context of depression and anxiety all the time, mm-hmm. saying essentially you can't understand what I'm experiencing if you haven't gone through it. You can't conceive of 
why can't you relax? You can't conceive of, well, why can't you be happy? Right. And I remember I was speaking at a construction company uh, called Acon. Uh, not that the name of the company is relevant. No. This was probably a year ago, and uh, I gave two speeches. Um, there was probably 75 people in each one. So 150 people. Out of the 150 people, there were three people who put up their hands when I said, I, I mean, I have these random fears like emetophobia, fear of puking. And yeah. three people put up their hands. And I was blown away by this because it, it really affected me. I felt felt so sorry for these people because their stories were way worse than mine. Yeah, right. sure, mine prevented me from going to summer camp and mine prevented me from riding on the bus. Mine prevented me from, from doing lots of things. But mm. there was two women. One said, I would never get married for fear that I would be sleeping beside someone who might throw up. And the other one said, I got married, but I would never have a child because of it. And, and that really gives you a perspective on just how debilitating anxiety oh can be, God. right? I mean, these, oh, yeah. this is not a minor inconvenience to your life. This is life-changing, life-altering, life-affecting. Many of my decisions in life, big or small, have been informed by anxiety. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and, it's, and it is, it's, it, my, you know, mine is, I've got what you'd call generalized anxiety disorder. This is where I say you and I are similar. Uh, uh, generalized anxiety disorder and then periods of clinical depression. That's my history. Um, the first big one starting with big clinical depression was out of high school, which is super common. A lot of people get that for various numbers of reasons. Um, but yeah, definitely. I would have anxiety would put me on different tracks. It would stop me from going and experiencing certain things that my friends would be experiencing, that my families would be, ex my family would be experiencing. And then it's not only that you're not experiencing, it, you feel like you're missing out. There's a whole chunk of life that everybody else is, is experiencing and you're not. And I found that, that, really hard. These are all those, these are all the psychological, you know, this is all the, the uh, shrapnel that happens from experiencing anxiety. And I, I, and you know, one of the things that I wonder, you know, with you is you, you have this anxiety, you work in a, in a very, in a, you're, for a lot of your life, it's like where you've ascended to is pretty high level broadcasting. It's kind of the highest level broadcasting in the country. And how, how did, how did you get there? You know? Well, I, I, I get a very simple answer for that, that my anxiety in no way has ever manifested itself uh, in, in broadcasting, in being on stage, in talking to a camera, in talking to a microphone. Right. It, it's, it's just, it's, you know, general anxiety disorder still can have specific things about it, right? Things that, mm. you know, general anxiety disorder to me is this, this feeling of, I call it like a low level electrical current going through your body where it's like, I, I can't describe to you what's going on, but I just, I just feel like, and I just feel like there's something going on with me that won't allow me to relax that, um, that manifests itself. I can't show you my legs, but I, I, I do this with my leg. When yeah, I'm, you got when the, the nervous leg. Yeah. Yeah. The nervous yeah. leg. And I, you know, that's, it's like, what's anxiety? That's my anxiety. <laughs> yeah, so, for sure. But I, I have never, uh, it, it's never created fear in me about, about broadcasting. As a matter of fact, broadcasting was always an outlet for me to be able to relax. And I have no idea why that is. But I guess it just goes to show you that we as human beings are all wired differently. The thing that most people fear more than anything is speaking on stage publicly to an audience, right? And yeah. yet that's something that not only do I not fear, but that's something that, that I cherish.
uh, proving that we're all wired differently. But for me, the biggest problem, John, was when I got to be, uh, when we had our daughter, Casey, she was three and a half and she was diagnosed with a serious eye condition. And, you know, the guy with anxiety, general anxiety disorder, um, was just incapable of, of, of handling it. I just, I had no coping mechanism. I had no ability whatsoever to compartmentalize my life in any way. Mm-hmm. So it ran my life. And over the course of the next 10 years, uh, I had a couple of real falls into the anxiety hole where I was just obsessed with it. And that led me to depression. Yeah. I had never, I had never experienced depression before, but for me, it's like, it's like when I get to max on the anxiety scale, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, there's no more, there's no place to go without exploding this guy's head. So what, yeah. you know, where is it going to go? It's like it creeps into a different part of my brain. And that part of my brain is the depression part of my brain. Yeah. With me, the anxiety will, the anxiety starts, builds, builds, builds. And then it limits me, limits me, limits me, limits me until I'm doing less, less and less and less. And then that's where the depression seeps in because right. I'm not accomplishing I'm not living a kind of normal life in quotes. And then that's where the depression starts to see, seep in. You know, you mentioned coping mechanisms. Uh, wh- what kind of things have you acquired throughout your life that you consider to be coping mechanisms? Uh, well, I, I think that the, the biggest thing I, I did, w- without a doubt, was uh, I went to see a psychiatrist. And yeah. the psychiatrist put me on medication. And yeah. uh, I'm on medication today. Yeah. I have been on the same combination of meds for 10 years. Right. Uh, Superlex also known as escitalopram yep. and, uh, and Wellbutrin. And yep. that has, I, I, I don't think I would have figured out, John, how to cope because right. I, I just, I had, you know, it's like, and I heard this before, so this is not my thought, but medication can if it works for you. And I'm not an advocate for medication. I'm an advocate for saying I will do anything to get better. Exactly. And medication is exactly. one of the things it's like, it's all spread out in front of you. Oh, there's like 25 different medications and there's cognitive behavioral therapy and there's magnetic stimulation and there's deep brain stimulation and there's ECT and there's like, like yeah. you've got to leave them all on the table. And I think yeah. what medication has done for me is allow me to to bring down my level of anxiety and depression enough where I can be rational as opposed yeah. to when I'm really, when I, when I was last un, unmedicated, I, there was just no amount of talking you could do to me. It was like my heart was racing. I was sweating. I had a pain right here in my chest for a yeah. year. Like, yeah. like specifically, it was amazing, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if you can see me. I mean, it doesn't really change the story, but yeah. right here. Yeah. And, it, and yeah. it was, it was, it was the weirdest thing because you know, I understand the physical manifestation of mental health challenges, but this was so specific that it was in this exact place. Uh, and, you know, medication, I think, gave me a chance to be able to use the healthy part of my brain to look at the sick part. And the healthy part looks at it and it teaches me things. You know, self-awareness is such a massive thing for people with mental health challenges. Mm-hmm. It, it's like I can use that part of my brain when it's not overcome by uh, anxiety and depression to, to at least apply some logic. So right. it's like I'm having a bad day, okay? So a couple of days ago, I had a bad day. But I can use that part of my brain to say, okay, well, you've had bad days over the last 10 years, lots of times, and it always passes. Right. So just relax, don't magnify it because by thinking, oh my God, what does this mean? This is what I would do. I'm having a bad day. 
oh man, what happens if I have a bad day tomorrow? And then the day after, that's three days in a row. That means anticipatory anxiety. Yeah. 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 So now I'm able to, I, I think, not catastrophize every bad day. But similarly, I used to be able to ruin a good day, right? Having a good day, it's like, oh man, this is so awesome. What happens if it's taken away tomorrow? You yeah, know, that, oh, that's where then, you get into the, the fortune telling piece, right? Where you're trying to predict the future. Right. And, it and ruins it's never good, health. right? I, and, I'm in total agreement with you on the medication. I'm, the, I'm on the same medication as Catalopram, not on Wilbertin. Um, but I, I completely agree. I, th- with it, there's a stigma around mental health, health, uh, mental health issues, which you and I both, you, you are, are, you know, I want to be where you are someday. That would be great. Um, and so there's a stigma around that. But there's a stigma around medication too, oh. and 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 it's it's terrible. And I I'm a complete believer in medication for the same reasons. I I believe it gets you to a place where you can live and you can start to develop kind of coping mechanisms. And then people feel like they get they, they get there, then they get in this rush to get off medication. And and you don't get in a rush to get off medication if you have diabetes. You don't get in a, if you have high blood pressure. It's one of the only medications that I hear about people, if you know, wanting to quit for that reason. Oh. I think it's I think it's incredibly helpful, and I really want people to feel comfortable using that tool. It's for for so many people, it's the first thing that can help them, and then they can see a bit of a light. You you know uh, I I mean I could literally go on if you snapped your fingers and said go, and you say keep talking until I snap them again. I I would go I could I could go for hours on this because I mean this is this is what I do right. I talk mm. about this subject. I yeah. talk about medication. I'm, I'm always wary, as you've already heard me do, to put in the disclaimer. I'm not here to advocate for medication. I'm not here to tell people, oh, yeah. you know, go the easy route. I'm here to tell people that if you're sick enough, you have to decide that you will do anything to get better, whatever yeah. that is. And to take yeah. something off the table is, is crazy. If you went to an oncologist and you found out you had cancer and the doctor said, I think I can help you, but, you know, you're going to need, you're going to need chemotherapy. No, no, I'm not doing that not doing that. And, and yeah. the doctor said, you will, you know, why would you say that? Because that's the only way we're going to save your life, but we are going to, I don't believe in it. People say, I don't believe in psychotropic drugs. And it's like, well, like, since when do you b- believe in it? What, like, what does that expression even mean? Yeah. Like you, you, you don't worship at the altar of psychotropic drugs. Neither yeah. do I. Yeah. But having said that, you also said um, that people are quick to go off them. I went off medication four times. I relapsed every time. And I understand it. So you did go off medication. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. On my own, I was like, well, I'm feeling great. Time to get off. You know, it's, uh, we all, this is one of the things I've learned in one of the sort of, uh, one of that, not slogans, I'm trying to think of the right word, but um, w- one of the monikers for, um, for sick, not weak, and when, when I'm sharing my own experiences, is that we all feel many of the same things. We mm-hmm. all feel like when, when it comes to depression, for instance, we all feel the loss of the ability to experience joy. All of us. I've never yeah. heard anyone with depression. And I'm talking about a big sampling here because I've given in the last 10 years, I've probably given, I don't, I don't, uh, let's say, 30 speeches a year. So, you know, you're talking about 300 speeches with, you know, hundreds of people in yeah. the audience sometimes and sometimes less, sometimes more. I've asked people with depression, put up your hands. Of course, I mean, that, that's fraught with um, lower numbers than you'd expect. Yeah. 
For sure. But the people that have their hands up, I, I say, okay, I'm going to tell you four things that I experienced with my depression. And I guarantee you that you've all experienced the same things. And if you haven't, put up your hand and tell me. No one has ever put up their hand. Of course not. No one. And medication, same thing exactly. We mm-hmm. all go through the same thing. It's like, oh God, please let these meds help me. I just, I, I, just, I just so badly want this medication to help me. And then if you're lucky... And after a month or whatever it is, if you go, you know, I feel a little bit better. Actually, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like I have my life back. I'm not It's perfect. amazing how quietly that curtain lifts, right? Yeah. yeah. So you say, oh, that curtain has lifted. And you go, I don't care about the side effects. I'm so happy to feel right. better. Yeah. And then, uh, and, and you go, uh, I'm so happy to feel better. I don't care about the side effects. And then after six months, you go, I'm happy to feel better. You know, this is mm-hmm. great. But you know, was I really that sick? Because the brain can't remember what pain feels like, right? Yeah. So then after a year, you go, oh, I got to get off this. You know, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I understand better. And these <laughs> yes. side effects are driving me crazy. Of so course. The thing that, so you, you take the medication for granted. Yeah, for sure. I, well, I think where it's important to emphasize this medication stigma is not always with the people who have the issues because the people who have the issues are often desperate but it's the caregivers it's the spouse it's the parent it's the friends who say oh you don't need that stuff um i and i've run into it myself not with my parents but with friends who are like no 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 you you don't need that stuff you know that'll change your brain so there's a lot of unfortunate influence that happens for, within these peer groups especially in, in you know in high school age i i do have an emphasis you know as, as many of us do kids from age 10 to 20, you know, it, that's where I'd like to, where, where we have to be effective in nipping this stuff in the bud. So they can through their 20s start to lead, you know, quote, a normal life. So it's those influences that I find can be a really bad, have a really bad effect on people as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really seen in a way that almost nothing else is seen. You know, I mean, there's people, let's face it, there's that rare group of people, like I don't know if it's, if it's like 1% of 1% that don't believe in antibiotics. Remember, like, like there was a yeah. time when people went, ah, oh, antibiotics, it, it's all fake. They're just, or, or <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to kill you or they don't do any good or they kill the good bacteria or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, people, if they go to the doctor and the doctor says, you have pneumonia, but, you know, I want to put you on amoxicillin uh, yeah. and you should be, you know, you should be a lot better in a couple of days. Like almost everyone I know would go, bring it on, doc. Yeah, but, exactly. when comes, but when it comes to the kind of drugs we're talking about, there's, there's so much of a reaction. And here's my favorite one. So I will say, uh, let's say you're, uh, you're a, a person that's really struggling and you've reached out to me because, uh, because, I, because I make myself available to that kind of thing as you do. So, someone, so I say to you, hey, well, why don't you go to, on medication? And, and you say to me, I'm afraid it'll change me. That's like my favorite response because it's like, what? Well, I'm afraid that it's going to change me. Okay, well, how sick are you? Oh, I'm like really sick. I go, well, you know, are you at this point able to enjoy anything in your life? No, I haven't, I haven't smiled legitimately or genuinely in a year. Okay, so, so you're afraid that the drug is going to change you. Don't you think you need some kind of change, right? Like, aren't you willing to roll the dice on, okay, I'm going to take a chance. And what, what's the payoff and what's the negative? The payoff is that you get your life back. The negative is that you're numbed by the drug, which is not a great thing, but 
it doesn't change fundamentally who you are. It does affect who you are. So I think that meds are not perfect. And I think the best way to convince someone to leave everything on the table, and if need be to convince them to try medication, you know, if someone has tried other things and they haven't worked and they're still desperate for help, I think one of the best ways in, and the only way to have real credibility for this is to, is to talk about the negatives too. Like I don't like the fact that I can't experience emotion the same way as I could before. That uh, I'm sometimes in a situation socially where someone will tell me something that's really great or really sad. And yeah. I'm not feeling the really greatness or the really sadness. So I can't be empathetic if I don't react the right way, it's not socially acceptable for someone to say, oh, well, you know, I just lost, you know, both my parents in a plane crash. And, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, that's terrible, but I'm not feeling it. So I have mm. to act the way I think I would have acted before I went on medication. And that's crappy, but you know yeah. what? This is, this is maybe, this is one of my favorite, uh, my favorite portable sayings. So I don't like medication but I hate the illness. I don't like the medication. I hate the illness. And I tell yeah. people, you have to learn to love the thing that you hate the least. Right. Yeah. 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 Makes complete sense. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly true. Tell me a little bit about, okay. When you, uh, when you decided to become transparent with your mental health, uh, issues um what was the catalyst for that did you have hesitation with that you know uh when, when that when that all happened i remember when it happened um and it meant a lot to me because i i watched off the record all the time uh unfortunately big toronto maple leafs fan and uh yeah and um and so i uh you know i when i heard that that of course when you hear about people who you know uh, kind of openly being uh, advocating mental health issues it helps a great deal you can't, um, for, under, you can't emphasize how much that helps. So what, what was it for you? Was it, was it, did, you, did you have to make a courageous step or did it just nah, feel right for you to do it? No courage whatsoever, really. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, no matter what compliment you paid me, I would take it with a sense of no, 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 and a sense of humility. And I probably wouldn't accept it. But in this case, this is not false humility. Or this is not me downplaying my own accomplishments. This is the honest to God truth. There was not a moment that I hesitated to say, I suffer from a mental illness. Um, a few of them actually, depression and anxiety. Um, mm. It has debilitated me. It has left me understanding why people take their own lives. I've, it, like, I, didn't, I didn't hesitate to say it. I just never said it for the first half of our OTR run mm. because I thought no one would care. I didn't know there was a benefit. Like how stupid am I, John? I didn't even know really there was a stigma. I thought, well, like why would me talking about it make any difference? And then we had Stefan Richet as a guest on Off the Record. Right. And I had read, this is coming out of my worst year of my life when uh, when I was talking about maximum anxiety turned to depression yeah and I was like I had really really struggled for over a year and the next year so that was 2008 the next year 2009 Stefan Riche was a guest on off the record I had read just by chance that he suffered from depression in the 1990s and I thought 
Yeah, I'll ask him how he's doing, right? So mm-hmm. I said to him in advance, hey, Stefan, would it be okay if I asked you how you're doing with, uh, with depression? He said, ah, it's very painful for me. And I said, hey, I, I don't want to ask you something that will cause you pain. But if you'll talk about it, I'll talk about it. He said, you, and I told him a bit about me. So yep. he said, let's do it. Went on the air. This was like, like 90 seconds tops. And yep. that changed the course of my life. I mean, so I my, my life's going in this direction, right? And then I'm talking to Stefan on the air and I'm thinking, oh, this sounds pretty good. And then uh, the show ends and that's it. I, I don't talk about it. I don't think about it. And the next day I start reading emails that say, hey, Michael, thanks for sharing. It made a huge difference in my life. Hey, Michael, I'm going to tell you something I've never told another human being. Hey, Michael, you know what? I, like you, have suffered from depression, but I was never able to talk about it. So my life is now going, not down, but in a totally different direction. 180 degrees. Yeah, I found out that there's an enormous value simply to saying the words, hey, you know, I suffer from depression and anxiety. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. And I'm sure not weak. No, definitely not. Tell me a little bit about sick, not weak. Where did, where did that, 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 so it started out as a hashtag, I, I gather, and then it's gathered steam as being a full on, you've got a website, you've got interviews on sicknotweek.com uh, with really interesting people. Uh, how did that dawn on you, that sick, not weak uh, thought? It was a speech, uh, John, I was giving a speech at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it's not really significant to the story, but I'm just sort of putting myself back in this position. And it was a lecture room, right? So I guess, you know, doc, uh, medical students would, I knew I would get into a room where medical students were. I just, I, I knew it. One day I was destined. Uh, I come from <laughs> yeah. a family of doctors. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah. Well, you're in Vancouver. Are you, where? You're in Vancouver. I'm on Salt Spring Island in British oh. Columbia. Yeah. My brother is a, is a nephrologist at St. Paul's in Vancouver. Right. Yeah. So here I was in this room and uh, I'm, I'm, this is one of the early speeches for me. And I, and I say, someone needs to debate me on this because I know you're out there. I know that at least half of you in this audience believe that mental illness is different than physical illness, that depression is not like diabetes, that depression is not like lupus, that it's somehow a sort of illness. I know, you, I know you're out there. I'm not mad. I, wa- I just want to discuss it. So yeah. someone put up their hand and said, yeah, you know, I, I think that it, I think it is different. You know, I think that you can, you can help it a little bit, right? You can, you know, you can say, okay, well, you know, what are the good things in my life? You know, all the things. And I said, oh, God, thank you for saying that. And I explained to him uh, my views of it. And I said, look, you know, I, I, I'm sick, mm-hmm. but I'm not weak. And, yeah. uh, and that was the first time I said it. And it kind of just stuck and people would repeat it back to me. And they would say, hey, I like that. What is that? So yeah. uh, I guess 2016, March the 10th, we launched a, uh, a not-for-profit. And uh, in uh, two years later, so this would be December of 2018. There will be a quiz later on, by the way. About okay, days. good. So, yeah. you, know, you take me for granted, yeah. I will punish you. Uh, <laughs> so in, uh, in 2018, we got our, uh, we got our charity um, uh, certificate or what, whatever you would call it from yes. CRA. So now yeah. we are a charity. And the interviews that you would be talking about, we did a show called Isolation Nation. Uh, right, that's it. Yep. 60 shows in 60 weekdays, um, wow. each one a half hour to 45 minutes. And I have to tell you, it was the joy of my life doing this. It was like, because 
you know, in broadcasting, especially traditional broadcasting, like I've done it, you, you, you have a lot of people you got to answer to, right? You got to answer to your boss, who chances are is the vice president of programming. You got to answer to the bigger picture, which where I work would be Bell Canada or Bell Media. You got to answer to the CRTC. You know, you like you have you 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 were forced to be in this narrow box. Right. And then I'm doing this show and I go, oh, my God, I don't have to answer to anyone. Like I can say whatever I want. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to abuse that. You know, I wasn't going to start showing, you know, pornography on our site no. because I yeah. could. Yeah. But it was uh, it was this liberating feeling. So, of course. Uh, yeah. It, it's like when you, yeah, it's like if, you know, for you, it would be going from, yeah, broadcasting to, to podcasting where you, yeah. you, you, you're oh, not yeah. with any, yeah, exactly. anything particular. You can kind of do what you want that you way. You can do what you want. And the only, and the, uh, the audience determines whether, whether it has merit or not, mm. um, which, which is more challenging in a lot of ways. Hey, like, you know, especially the first, the first uh, 10 years of off the record. Um, we could have put any crap on the air and it would have got really good ratings because TSN was so powerful in the marketplace, right? Yeah. So I never, I never deluded myself. This is a, a different subject, but you know, people no, okay. would say, oh, you know, longest running talk show in history. And I know, mm -hmm. not for a fact, but I know, I believe that if we had done the same show and it was on, you know, on CBC and then after that on Sportsnet or on the mm -hmm. score, we would have yep. failed. But TSN right. was, you know, like TSN owned, like when you came home, whatever you were doing at that point, if you were watching off the record, you know, it just became typical for you to come home and turn on your television, right? And yeah. put on TSN. That and, was me. Yeah. And that was, uh, we had this, that huge advantage. Yeah. And uh, so in terms of your family, like uh, has, have, has, have, have you, how many, how many, do you mind if I ask how many kids you have? So, John, just, just think about this. If I minded that you asked me how many kids, but I'm willing to talk about my anxiety as a kid, which, which um, caused me the fear of actually going on a bus, it yeah. would be really weird if I minded you asking me about That's a good kids. point. That's a good point. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I, I mean, that's the best way to be an advocate here, right? Yeah. Is to say, yeah. you know, I got no secrets, right? Yeah, you know, yeah for sure. That's me, too. Uh, that's me, too. I can tell. You know, yeah. I, I can tell that you, you, we do have a fair amount in common. Uh, I have mm. two kids. My son, uh, Corey, actually, I have sort of three kids. My son, yeah. Corey, is married. Yeah. Uh, Corey uh, cut all of the videos that you would have seen on Isolation Nation. And Beautiful. And you see um, my daughter runs the charity with me. So Fabulous. It's like me. I mean, I work. My dad has a, we have a non-for-profit, the Bateman Foundation, getting people into nature. There's, that's how I got affiliated with uh, Anxiety Canada because there's a huge crossover between nature exposure sure. and anxiety issues. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's the same thing. I was the chair of my dad's foundation for four years and it's a family business. Right. Um, and it's a, I know, I know it's a lot of work running a charity. It's, you know, it's a, uh, takes quite a bit. Um, so that's really impressive that you have that going. What I was wondering about your kids is um, did you, how did you, cause I've got two kids. I've got a 15 year old son and 18 year old daughter. And um, I've always kind of talked about it, it. It was the same with the sex talk um, because I've never had a sex talk with my children. Now it was just always an open subject and it was the same with mental health. I always did that. Did you have the same kind of experience with your kids bringing them up? Well, um, I know that you haven't had the sex talk with your kids because I know uh, your 15 year old actually has two kids. I think, I think they're, <laughs> they're in two different continents, right? That's right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, it was always openly spoken in my home. Uh, but what you just said, I, I think, is there's a really important lesson there. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And that is that, that typically people will talk to their kids about certain things, right? They talk to them about drinking and driving. I bet mm. you've talked to your kids about that, especially yeah. your 18 year old. You know, yeah. I bet you've talked about the importance of an education. I bet you've talked about um, alcohol, you know, drugs, the whole thing, alcohol yeah. and drugs and, you know, not to be, not to be led astray in your life, but very few parents talk to their kids about mental health. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, when, when I'm in a position to share my own thoughts with, with parents, I say, you know, this is going to sound really harsh, but there is uh, a, a very good chance if your kid is going to die before your kid is 30, mm-hmm. it's going to be in a car accident or it's going to be suicide. And yeah. then, you know, the car accident, you will do your best to prevent that, that from happening. But you, you, you won't talk about, you won't say the word suicide. And I think we're still afraid to say it. We still... We still yeah. whisper it. And the more we make it part of the conversation, I think the better chance we have to, um, to, to make a difference in a number, which in this country is at 4,000 and has been, um, you know, and that, I mean, that's the reported number. Uh, yeah. In the United States, it's 40,000 people every year will take their lives. And if we yeah. talked a bit about more about it, I think it would make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've experienced through, through my anxiety and depression, um, one, of those, one of those things that a lot of people experience as a, as a symptom is suicidal ideation. And of course, I've experienced that. Uh, suicidal ideation, and, and just to, to, what I say to people when I talk about it um, is that for me, it's a symptom of what you're experiencing. It's not a conscious thought. It's a, it's a symptom. It's like sneezing if you have a cold. It's like coughing if you have the flu. So it's a, it's a thought that pops into your head that's manufactured strictly by this unconscious part of your brain. It's just desperately trying to figure out a way to, to, to limit that pain. Yeah, I, and, and that's, that's, that lesson, I think, needs to be taken because uh, I agree with that. and I think you put it really well. But mm-hmm. that has to be taken to its logical next step, which is if you are not the person that controls the thought, if, if you're not doing as people would assume you're doing that, I, you know, I don't like my life, therefore I want to kill myself. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm miserably unhappy. If, if you accept the fact that that's not the way it works, that mm-hmm. it's to go with this illness, one of the symptoms are these thoughts that mm-hmm. come to you. If you accept that, then you would stop saying to people, well, you know, you could get rid of those thoughts if you just started to appreciate the good things in your life. You could get rid of those thoughts if you looked around you and said, well, you know, thank you. Uh, you know, if you believe in God or whomever it is you yeah. believe in, or just in general, I got to be thankful for what I have. If you believe that, that a suicidal thought comes from the idea that you have um, that you have control over it, then you will try to help people by telling them to get control. And that's, to me, incredibly frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. But, you know, what we're doing and, and what you're doing um, is incredibly valuable. And uh, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really feel like speaking about it, uh, we didn't even get into the male aspect of things because there's a whole gender bias going on here as well where guys aren't really allowed to. But anyway, let's, we can't get into that. i uh, got to let you go. But um, Michael, f- first of all, personally, thank you uh, for what you, how you've helped me. And thank you so much for what you're doing for everybody out, out there and sharing your anxiety story with us. Uh, it's incredibly important. And, um, and I really appreciate what you've done. You know what it is? Uh, thank, thank you for saying that. And uh, my pleasure. And if you want to take this uh, and do the next edition of Bateman Landsberg Talk Anxiety, uh, yeah. We could talk about, uh, you know, what the unique challenges that men feel. 
uh, and experience when it comes to mental health. But, you know, I, I call it this, like you were, you were saying, oh, you know, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Yep. You know, I do get back a lot because mm-hmm. it's, it's purpose to pain. Yep. It's like yep. the worst thing in my life. Uh, that I've experienced personally Me too. Um, Me too. has been mental illness. But yep. on a day when I feel pretty good and I get to talk to somebody like you about this, I go, mm. hey, you know, it's actually one of the best things in my life. But tomorrow, if I wake up and I'm feeling terrible, I will not think it's one of the best things in my life. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I've, I find that too. And um, I find that it's incredibly healing for people to talk to people, let people know if you're having an Agreed. issue. Talk to somebody, it feels so good. And then people open up to you. You'd, you'd just be amazed. And, uh, and I really appreciate it, Michael. And I would love to talk to you more about this sometime. So let's do that, okay? Thanks, John. Take care, Michael. Thank you for listening to our anxiety stories. If you'd like to support this podcast or Anxiety Canada, go to anxietycanada.com.